Welcome to my podcast, What Would Jane Do? In this podcast, we seek early 19th century answers to very 21st century problems in the company of our favourite novelist, Jane Austen. Now, today's podcast is a very special one because last week I went to her very own home at Chawton, which is now a museum. Chawton is near Winchester in England. She wrote most of her most famous novels in this house and there's a fantastic exhibition of her life and it really is an honour to have been able to go there. You'll hear me in conversation with Mary Guyatt, who is the director of the museum. And in our conversation, we talk about everything from her favourite exhibit in the museum to what daily life was like for Jane. And also we touch upon that interesting question of what would Jane have thought about 40,000 people processing through her house every year? So please sit back and enjoy. If you'd like to see the images that accompany this podcast, do go over to YouTube where you can see the photographs and the footage that I took during my visit. Hello, I'm speaking to you from one of the upstairs bedrooms at Jane Austen's house. I'm here with Mary Guyatt, the director. So, Mary, perhaps you could start by telling us how this museum came about. Absolutely. The museum is the is housed in the building, the house, the village house in Chawton, where Jane Austen lived for the last eight years of her life. And ever since the 1870s, people have been coming to see the house where she lived and wrote her world-famous novels. So we know from even those 50 years after her death, people were coming to this tiny village in the country to see where Jane had lived and written her books. And it was a gradual process. The memorial, really, the memorialisation began with those early tourists. And in 1917, 100 years after Jane died, a plaque was put on the walls of the house, um, marking her home in a a more formal way. And it wasn't until the 1930s that thought came to turning the museum, or turning the house, into a formal museum. It was in the 1930s that thought came to turning the museum, turning the house into a museum. And... A little later, during the Second World War, um, landowners were you know, having a, a really hard time and the Knight family, who were uh, descendants of Jane's brother Edward, who owned the cottage here, um, and they came, they came to thinking about dis- disposing of some of their village estate. So the house came onto the market in the 1940s and it was the Jane Austen Society set up locally that uh, mounted a campaign to buy the house and turn it into a museum. It wasn't in fact the society that succeeded there, it was a private individual who saw an ad that the society placed in the Times appealing for donations 
And he responded as a private individual to say that he would buy the house in memory not only of Jane Austen, but of his son who had died in the Second World War. So the house was in fact established by this individual's charity, the Jane Austen Memorial Trust, and has ever since had a very close relationship with the Jane Austen Society, who really kicked things off all those years ago. It's our 70th birthday this year. Yes, happy birthday. That's a really nice story, isn't it? Because um, Jane Austen's own uh, brothers were involved in the Navy and military that way. So to have the house bought by someone wanting to remember their son who died in a war is kind of a nice mm. connection. Uh, and in the museum there's a fantastic room showing the, 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 the very, very interesting story of Jane's brothers who were in the Navy. So, um, you have probably one of the best jobs in the world, welcoming visitors here. What do they get from coming here that they can't get from watching a Jane Austen adaptation or reading a book about her? We have around 40,000 visitors who do make that journey to us, um, many of whom know Jane Austen's work very thoroughly, and others who have just, uh, just heard her name or maybe coming um, from a, a different culture who, who haven't um, understood her works. But I think everybody finds something very um, helpful about visiting. So for those that know her work and are devoted to her, seeing the table where she wrote her novels can be a very moving and personal experience for them and, and some of them talk of it, about it in terms of making a pilgrimage. Um, for those who perhaps are studying Jane Austen, recently introduced to her work, there are many um, moments in the visit where they can connect elements of her literature to the exhibits that we have on display. For instance, there's a Jane clearly drew on personal experience. We have here um, a couple of um, pieces of jewellery, crosses that were presented to her and her sister Cassandra by their brother in the Navy. And then we see in Mansfield Park, Fanny Price being given a very similar cross by her brother. So there are direct links to the fiction. But I think on a very general sense, people understand that Jane Austen was... Um, the, the, the characters in her book and the social settings in her book related very much to her own experience and her own observation of village life. She was living in this house, which was part of her wealthy brother's much larger estate here in Chawton. And she was the poor relation. And you see that character or that family in many of the books. Um, she was part of village society. And you, you see that very much reflected as well in the stories. I think people understand that um, perhaps because so many of so much of a plot and the action happens in the big houses, big stately homes. Um, it's sometimes easy to forget that Jane Austen, although she knew that world, it wasn't the world that she lived in. Um, she was here in this much smaller house observing that world. And also she, I think we, we know that her books are so important in portraying or important for portraying strong female characters and this was a household of women she lived here with her sister she lived here with her mother and their friend Martha Lloyd so you get that real sense of it being a women's home and that um, she was 
part of that particular household. And I think also anybody would understand that she was working in um, quite compromising conditions. It's not a big house. We had all those people living in living here with a couple of servants. Um, Jane was involved in in running the household there was a a productive garden here so you know there was no writer's room there was no library she was producing those incredible um, stories in very compromised conditions yeah the writing table you mentioned at the beginning that's actually tiny isn't it it's really tiny really really tiny and I think when I do my writing I have a desk and a Mm. desktop and a keyboard Mm. and what have you it's just uh, completely the opposite so um, we're in here before the house is open so it's very quiet it's probably like it was in the morning when Jane Austen would have woken up except for the, the cars going by outside but otherwise it's very much how she would have been here in this sort of peace and quiet what would her average day have been like once she woke up in the bedroom next door? Um, Jane was busy and involved in the household. It said that she was responsible for breakfast, um, that she looked after tea, which was quite a, an expensive commodity, so it was under lock and key, and she, she looked after that. Um, Cassandra, her older sister, probably did more of the domestic management, dealing with the servants and uh, with the the planning of the household. But Jane um, was clearly, we know from the letters that she wrote while she was living here, that she was very much involved in family life and community life. Uh, In an ordinary day, after breakfast, she might um, be practice the piano. We we have a a piano here, very similar to the one that we know that she acquired when she moved to Chawton. She would also, um, some of her letters refer to plants in the garden and vegetables in in the vegetable plot and the donkey that they had and the donkey carriage that was taken to the local town of Alton so they could carry their shopping back more easily. Um, So she, she would have been out and about, we know from her letters and also actually from her novels that she loved walking. Um, she has her characters going on long, long walks. Um, so she was, you know, in good weather, out and about locally, um, and involved also in the social life. There was a you know, strong church community that she visited the elderly and the sick and gave alms. Um, that church going was an important part of, of her life. Her father had been a rector, of course, and, and her brothers involved in the church. And sometimes visiting her brother when he was in residence at, at Chawton House, one of his um, part of his estate here. Um, so when was the time to, for the writing? Well, Jane Austen in one letter says there, there has been no time for composition, as she calls it, because there's been too much uh, to deal with mutton and doses of rhubarb. So she's referring back to those household chores, really. But clearly, she did make time for writing. And one imagines that you know, she, we know that she was a resourceful and economic and highly planned and controlled with the time that she had with her writing. We know that from the surviving manuscript. She knew very clearly what she was going to write. Um, so when those moments um, presented themselves, 
we think that she probably shut herself in a, in a room with good light and uh, quiet at that time of the day and, and got down to it and, and wrote pretty quickly. The manuscripts show us that she didn't um, make a huge amount of corrections. She, she was very economic with the work there. There's also, um, I suppose, one more, one more thing to add, that the books were, when they were published, they were sent here and Jane enjoyed reading them aloud in the evenings. And another, um, partly work and, and partly pleasure, she um, was a, a wonderful needlewoman and spent a great deal of time stitching um, both practical garments for her brothers and mending, no doubt, and making an absolutely exquisite patchwork coverlet, which is on display here. I think that mixture of the domestic and the creative reminds me very much of her kind of contemporary Dorothy Wordsworth, who will write things like, you know, dug the garden, washed my hair, then saw daffodils with William, and then goes into this amazing description of the daffodils, and from which comes, um, obviously, the William Wordsworth poem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are spiritual sisters at the other end of the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, do you have a favourite exhibit in the uh, museum at all? Now we're, we're standing right by uh, a lock of hair that's said to belong to Jane Austen, and the little card next to it says, given in extraordinary circumstances, or yes. words like that. Yes, the lock of hair is an important item in the collection. And you're absolutely right, at the beginning of the history of the museum in that formal sense we opened in 1949 and the charity had been established in 1947 the the museum um, became a very natural repository for items of Jane Austen's material culture and we have over the years um, there was a you know, an, an enormous push in the very early years to acquire items and to furnish the museum and to be that home for Jane's material legacy. And we've really, um, we've kept that going and, and had a, a really recent push as well with a, a grant from the National Lottery, a Collecting Cultures um, grant, which has enabled us to go out on the market and again to um, very quickly acquire more material. So the, the, the lock of hair that you mentioned was one of the earliest acquisitions. And the founder of the museum, T. Edward Carpenter, was um, at present at the Jane Austen Society annual general meeting, still held in Chawton every July. And he was bemoaning publicly the loss of Jane Austen material legacy to the United States. And he particularly mentioned this lock of hair um, and how it was disappearing over the Atlantic. And at that, a very um, proud woman called Alberta Burke stood up from the audience and said, I am the American who has purchased that hair and if you want it, you can have it. Um, She was so cross with with, um, the way that the... um, the way that he'd handled that, that apparently there was quite a scene, but it did did result, she carried on collecting Jane Austen's material, um, but it did result in this uh, one item coming into the collection, this wonderful story. Um, and the world of Jane Austen is, you know, has continued, it's continued to grow. It's, we've had, we have absolutely wonderful support from around the world. The Jane Austen Society of North America is 5,000 people strong. Um, and with that come, you know, come delicate relationships as well. So, you know, nothing changes. 
And so if someone wants to come and visit, what do they have to do? Well, we're open throughout the year, except for January, when we have um, our annual sort of deep clean and stock take and all that sort of stuff. So otherwise, we are open almost every day, always worth checking the website. We plan to be open every day, February to uh, New Year's Eve, um, with the exception of Christmas. And we're open largely 10.30 till 4.30. Um, and people need to get to Chawton, which is where we are. So um, just sort of talking about you personally, let's ask you about your own um, sort of fondness for Jane Austen. What's your favorite Jane Austen novel? Probably Sense and Sensibility, I think, because um, it's her first novel to go into publication. I was younger when I read it. Um, I love the relationship, the, the very um, complete contrast between the two sisters. Um, probably has something to do with the adaptation in the 90s. Um, and I like it for its imperfections, you know, it, it, it isn't the accomplished novels that Jane went on to write. So is that your favourite adaptation as well? Um, I think so, but I'm conscious that that is... <laughs> it's not necessarily it's a wonderful adaptation, but it's also, you know, looking back on um, my own youth there. And how about the... Uh, this is a really hard question, I'm going to push you. The adaptations of Pride and Prejudice, pick your favourite. <laughs> um, gosh... You're going to lose, like, so many fans now. Yes, you say. <laughs> um, well, I think the BBC. OK. You're I often think it's the BBC for the, the length and the sort of detail mm. and the feel of the uh, Kira Knightley mm. one, how muddy mm. it all is and everything. Yeah, it's, it has spirit. It yeah. certainly has spirit, that one. Spirit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure you'll get... 40,000 visitors yes. a year. Yes. That is a year, isn't it? Yes. yes. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suppose the final question from that point of view then is what do you think Jane Austen would think knowing that 40,000 people a year are coming to her home? I think she'd be you know, initially dumbfounded <laughs> and I think she'd very soon be highly amused. Um, I think we know enough about her to realise that she was open-minded and that she um, she would also, I think, not see it as her home because she moved around and all, this was a very happy part of her life and she was settled here for eight years, but I think that she understood that, you know, and as we see in the novels, that um, property ownership was transitory. <laughs> um, and I think... Ultimately, she would be really proud because people come here because it's the place where the books were written and that's what, you know, she was most proud of. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's all from Chawton for today. And I want to thank everybody at the museum for making me so welcome and giving me the unparalleled opportunity to walk around it all on my own and feel in touch with Jane Austen over the couple of hundred years that separate us. 
I'm planning to go and visit other places in England that are associated with Jane Austen. So if you have any suggestions about what you would like to see, please do message me on social media. That's Julia Golding. And I will hopefully get round to your particular pics. But do look out in the meantime for my next podcast episode because I'll be talking to a world expert on the satirical culture and the theatre of Jane Austen's time. That's me in conversation with David Taylor from St Hugh's College, Oxford University. But until next time, don't forget that when in doubt, just ask yourself, what would Jane do?